Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with a prayer of Hezekiah as we pick up in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 24. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Verse 24, and in those days Hezekiah was sick to death. He prayed to the Lord and he spake unto him and he gave him a sign. But Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore there was wrath upon him and upon Judah and Jerusalem. Now Hezekiah was sick. Isaiah came to him and said, set your house in order. You're going to die and not live. And Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and he began to pray. He prayed all night. Isaiah tells us about the prayer of Hezekiah in the book of Isaiah. We'll get more into that. And naturally, this is, this is a good time to read the prophecy of Isaiah and of Jeremiah as we deal with these last few chapters. But Isaiah tells us how that he cried all night long before the Lord, turning his face to the wall. And the word of the Lord came to Isaiah saying, go back and tell the king that I'll give him another 10 years. Or 15 years. And so the Lord extended the life of Hezekiah. But it was tragic. Now, there is a direct will of God for our lives, and I believe that there is a permissive will of God for our lives. I believe that God does permit certain things that are not necessarily His direct purpose and plan for your life. But here you are insisting on something, crying out to God, insisting, and and so God permits. In the case of Balaam, when Balak the king sent to him and said, I want you to come and curse these people that are coming through the land, Balaam prayed and God said, thou shalt not go to the king, thou shalt not curse them. For they are blessed, they're my people. So Balaam sent back a message to the king and said, I'm sorry, king, I can't come, I can't curse them because these people are God's people, they're blessed of God. So Balak sent back other messengers with a lot of loot and said, look, the king wants you to just come and counsel him concerning these people. And Balaam saw all of the loot that he was being offered for just being the counselor. And this time, I'm sure he really prayed, oh, God, please let me go. Oh, Lord, please, 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 you know, because he was so greedy of of all this loot that was being offered. So the Lord said, all right, go. I mean, here's a guy, please, oh, God, God, help, please, Lord, you know, and, and, and God said, go. But you just be careful. You don't say any more than what I've told you to, you know, than what I put in your mouth. So Balaam gets on his donkey heading out. And in his mind, all the visions of sugar plums dancing in his head. The the things that he's going to be able to buy with all of the loot that the king is offering. And suddenly the little donkey turns off the path. And he beats the little donkey, gets him back on the road again. Pretty soon the little donkey sort of edges in towards the cliff. Gets his ankle. He beats the donkey again. Pretty soon the little donkey just sits down, refuses to go. He beats it again. 
And at this time, the little donkey's had enough. He turns around and says, do you think that's right to beat me three times? <laughs> Haven't I been a faithful donkey to you ever since you've owned me? And Balaam was so mad, he talked back to him. He <laughs> said, you bet your life I'm right in beating you, you stubborn beast. If I had a club, I'd kill you. And then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing there with a drawn sword. And Balaam says, wait a minute. <laughs> the angel said, you better thank that little donkey. If it weren't for him, I'd have had your head. Balaam says, I'll go back. I'll go back. That's all right. I'll go back. And they said, no, you've come this far. You go. But surely God had declared his direct will, don't go. Stay out of it. But because of greed, he was insisting on going, and God permitted him to go. Here is Hezekiah. Now, we talk about praying and prayer changing God. And, and in a sense, God allotted and allowed Hezekiah's life to be extended for a period of time. But it was tragic. Because during this period of time, this king who had been so good and had brought so much good to the people of God, now he began to be lifted up with pride. The last years of his life were different. He wasn't that humble servant of God any longer. Now, because God had begun to prosper the kingdom, after Shennacherib was wiped out, Man, all of the kings began to send him presents and gifts because the Assyrians have been wiping everybody else out. And now this horrible threat of Assyria is reduced, having been defeated by the Lord there before Hezekiah. All of the kings are sending him a lot of gifts, and he becomes a very wealthy man. And now he begins to be prideful and, and of all of his wealth. Got his eyes onto that. Tragic, because it was during this period of time also that a son was born to him named Manasseh. And this son was one of the most wicked kings in all of Israel. So it probably would have been better for him and for the nation had he died. But he was praying and insisting that God would heal him if indeed you can change the mind of God through your prayers, it's always going to be for your worse. If you can insist, Lord, my will be done, God, and God will, in a gracious kind of a gesture, allow your will to be done, it's going to be the worst thing that ever happened to you much better for you that God's will be done in your life. Much better that your prayer be not my will, thy will be done, because you don't know what's best for you. You don't know what's best for your friends. And many times those things for which we are crying out to God, insisting, fasting, and praying that God will do this particular thing, it could be the worst thing that ever happened to you. And the worst thing that God could do for you would be to answer 
that particular prayer, I cannot agree with those who say that praying thy will be done is a spiritual cop-out. Because if indeed that be so, then Jesus was guilty of a spiritual cop-out. Because he prayed, nevertheless, not my will, thy will be done. So Hezekiah prayed all night. God said, I'll extend you 15 years. But he was never the same. After this victory over the Assyrians, after all of the wealth that came, his heart was lifted up with pride. Now, Hezekiah had exceeding much riches, honor. He made himself treasuries for the silver and for the gold and the precious stones, the spices, the shields, and the jewels. Storehouses for the corn and the wine and the oil. Stalls for all of the beast. And he provided cities and possessions of flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him the substance very much. Now this is the same Hezekiah also who stopped the upper water course of the spring of Gehon and brought it straight down to the west side of the city of David, and Hezekiah prospered in all of his works. While he was awaiting this invasion by Shennacherib, they took the spring of Gihon, and they dug this tunnel 1,700 feet through solid rock. There were fellows who started at the pool of Siloam, and others who started at the spring of Gihon, digging through this solid rock. Now, it was quite an engineering Feet for those days because, you know, they didn't have any modern surveying type of instruments or equipment. And these guys drilling through solid rock, or not drilling, they were chipping with hammers and, and all through this solid rock for this distance of 1,700 feet in order that they might bring the spring of home within the walls of the city because they were expecting this siege and so they needed a, a fresh water supply within the city of Jerusalem. And so this, this tremendous engineering feat, uh, especially for those days, this 1,700-foot tunnel. We've been through this tunnel several times. And it, it's quite interesting. When you get towards the middle, there's a few zigzags because they could hear the picks of the other guys and they were trying to you know, find them. And they, you could see where they adjusted and, and finally where they came together, where the pick finally hit the pick. And, uh, oh, it must have been tough, though, digging in that thing. In some places, the height of, of the tunnel is only four feet high or so, and it must have really been tough, tough digging through that thing. But this was one of the great feats of Hezekiah's reign. Now, when he recovered from his illness, the king of Babylon heard of the recovery of his illness, so he sent emissaries to Hezekiah to congratulate him for the recovery from his deathbed kind of thing. And he showed to them all of his treasure. Now, this was no doubt, again, a thing of pride. He, he became, you know, prideful, all of the wealth that he had. And, and so he was just showing off all of his treasure to these emissaries from Babylon. And so the prophet came to him and said, who are these guys that were here? He said, oh, they were from Babylon, way over the other side of Euphrates. 
He said, what did you show them? He said, everything I have. He said, oh, that was foolish because they are going to come back and they're going to carry it all the way captive to Babylon. So the prediction of the captivity to Babylon at the time of Hezekiah was not fulfilled until some years later, but here was Hezekiah's. Been better had he died, but uh, some people think they know better than God. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. He reigned for 55 years, one of the longest, his, his was the longest reign of any king. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now here you go. Hezekiah had restored the temple, rebuilt the thing, reestablished the worship. Things were going good. God was blessing. They became strong and, and, and prosperous again. And here his son takes over now, 12 years old when he takes over. He does that which is evil in the sight of the Lord, like to the heathen that the Lord had cast out of the land before the children of Israel had come in. He built again the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down. He raised up the altars for Balaam. He made the groves, worshipped all the hosts of heaven, served them. He built altars in the house of the Lord, whereunto the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. He built altars for all of the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. So the same thing that Ahaz, his grandfather, had done. Also, he observed times, enchantments, used witchcraft, dealt with familiar spirits, with wizards, and he wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. These things that he did as far as the enchantments, witchcraft, familiar spirits, wizards, these are the things that Isaiah speaks out against when their calamity came, and Isaiah was put to death, actually, by Manasseh. And at the time of Manasseh's doing all these things, the judgment of Babylon was predicted. Isaiah said, Thou art wearied in the multitude of thy counsels. Let now the astrologers, stargazers, monthly prognosticators stand up and save thee from these things that shall come upon thee. So these are the things that Manasseh did. He started following after his horoscope and astrologers and all of these people. And of course, it might be good until you're really in trouble and then it's no help at all. So he set a carved image, the idol which he had made in the house of God, which God had said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen before all the tribes of Israel, will I put my name forever. Neither will I any more remove the foot of Israel from out of the land which I have appointed for your fathers so that they take heed to do all that I have commanded them. But here he is disobeying. Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err and to do worse than the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spake to Manasseh and to the people, but they would not hearken. God spoke. They would not hearken. And of course, in the 36th chapter, God said, I sent the messengers and all, but they would not hearken. They mocked them. Wherefore, and of course, Manasseh ordered Isaiah sawed in two. Just stretched him out and took a saw and cut him right in two. Wherefore, the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns, bound him with fetters, carried him to Babylon. And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And he prayed unto him, and he was entreated of him and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that Jehovah was God. 
So Manasseh had a conversion experience. It was a, a tough way. He was taken captive by the king of Assyria who drug him through the thorns, gave him a rough time, brought him as a captive to Babylon. And while he was there, he began to call out upon God. And of course, God is so good. God was merciful. God heard his prayer and God brought him back again to Jerusalem. And from that time on, Manasseh was a changed man, but he was not able to undo the folly of his earlier years. He did start bringing about spiritual reforms. He took away the strange gods and the idols of the house of the Lord and the altars that he had built. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, sacrificed there on the peace offers, offerings, thank offerings, and so forth. Nevertheless, the people did sacrifice still in the high places unto the Lord their God only. So there was a, a partial return unto God. At his death, his son Ammon began to reign. And Ammon was 22 years old when he began to reign. He reigned for only two years. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, even as his father Manasseh, for he sacrificed unto all of the carved images which Manasseh, his father, had made and served them, which means that Manasseh didn't get rid of them all. He humbled not himself before the Lord as Manasseh, his father, had humbled himself, but Ammon trespassed more and more, and his servants conspired against him and killed him in his own house. And so his son, Josiah, began to reign. Josiah was only eight years old when he began to reign. He reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. Josiah instituted reformations. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he be, which means he was 16 years old, he began to seek after the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. So eight years old when he started to reign. By the time he was 16, he started seeking the Lord. By the time he was 20, he began to purge the land of the false Images. When he was 21 years old, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet. And so now you're into the period of Jeremiah. For in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the prophet, calling Jeremiah. So Jeremiah was about 17 years old when uh, the word of the Lord came to him. So it means that he was about four years difference between Jeremiah and Josiah, this king. And uh, Josiah did institute spiritual reforms among the people. And yet, Jeremiah, the prophet of God at this time, could see that the spiritual reforms were only surface reforms. Uh, it was only because the king was uh, serving God that the people followed, but not with their whole hearts. And Jeremiah cried out against the superficiality of their conversion and of their worship of God. Uh, declaring that they, they had only turned, you know, in a surface way, but not with all of their hearts to the Lord. So Jeremiah, if you can remember now this period of history, when you get to Jeremiah, you'll really understand the prophecy of Jeremiah so much better because Jeremiah began his prophecy right at this point of the purging of, of Jerusalem and the reestablishing of the temple worship and so forth by Josiah, that's when Jeremiah began his period of prophecy and he prophesied through the rest of the history of the nation prior to the Babylonian captivity. 
So from Second Chronicles here on is the period of Jeremiah's ministry. So he broke down the alders of Balaam, the images. He cut down the groves. He burnt the bones of the priests and their altars. And so he did up in the cities of the north, in Ephraim, Simeon, Naphtali. And when he had broken down the altars and the groves, he had beaten the graven images into powder and cut down the idols throughout all the land of Israel. He returned to Jerusalem. And he began the repairing of the temple in the 18th year of his reign. After he had purged the land, Jeremiah had now been prophesying for five years. They sent out the message to repair the temple. They hired the workmen to come in and to begin to restore the building that had fallen into great disrepair under his father Ammon and his grandfather Manasseh. Now as they were cleaning out the temple, they found a book of the law of the Lord one of the scrolls upon which the law of God was written. And the priest brought it out to Josiah, and he began to read to him out of this scroll. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse -verse Bible study in the book of Second Chronicles on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order 2 Chronicles 32-34 through 34 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse -verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord bless and guide your life to lead you into His path of righteousness. May the love of Christ just fill your heart and overflow. May you be his witnesses, a testimony to others by the love of Christ that shines forth from you. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Pastor Greg Laurie. Rarely does a man come along that literally changes a generation. But such a man came, and that man is here tonight, and his name is Chuck Smith. Yeah?
Join Pastor Greg in an exclusive interview with Pastor Chuck. Listen to rarely heard stories and memories in Chuck's own words about the events that influenced him and how he, in turn, influenced so many. We have only one life and it'll soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. To order a copy of the special DVD with Greg Laurie and Chuck Smith, visit thewordfortoday.org or call 800-272-9673. Again, the number to call is 800-272-WORD.